All right. Okay, so a little bit different format today. We had some audio video issues. I, I use a thing called StreamYard and it's just giving me problems. But then we used Tony's and had the same uh -oh. problem. And now we're here on good old Zoom, you know? Like we're, we're back at like in the old days, you know, yeah. the StreamYard and Riverside are these high end things. And I was so, I have to tell you, this is where, if, I don't know if we're talking about emotional immaturity or narcissism today. Oh, I was very confident, Josh. And so we wa walked over to my neighborhood and we were doing uh, Riverside that then uh, technology would be amazing. And then we get over there and it was doing the same thing. And I immediately felt guilt and shame. So there you go. There you go. Well, at least you didn't, at least you didn't try to shift blame to somebody else. No, uh, it's, 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 it's actually funny. The, this came about, this whole podcast actually came about because I had another guy coming on uh, a week or week or two ago, had a couple of problems with, with podcasts lately, but I had this guy come on and, and he was, he was referred to me by a friend who said, hey, you know, this guy, you might want to have him on. It seems really interesting. And he's a TikTok follower, or he has, he has a big TikTok following, like 160,000 followers. And he is a guy who claims that he was the victim of female narcissistic abuse. Mm. So I, I hit him up and I said, hey, you know, like, I'd love to have you come on the podcast. I'd actually had a, an expert on narcissism come on and and I would like to talk to you. And he was all about it. We set it up, set it like a month and a half in advance and all that. So we had plenty of time to get ready for it. And I have them all set up and send him the link. And then the day of he cancels and he says, mm -hmm. I'm having all this anxiety. Uh, I'm really nervous. And my response was, I was like, okay, well, you have like 160,000 TikTok followers. <laughs> uh, my podcast is brand new. So, I mean, you know, and he's like, well, my ex, she uses my stuff. You know, she uses my stuff as a, um, like a weapon? A, a weapon against me and all this stuff. And I really need, I feel like I need to talk to my therapist before I come on a podcast. And I just was like, well, I don't want to cause you any problems. So cool. You know, yeah, that's fine. And he's like, I still want to do it, but you know, I just, I don't think it's the right time. And I'm like, and my, as he kept talking, I, my antenna kind of went up a little bit. I'm like, this is a little weird, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, and so anyway, I left the posting up on my Facebook and someone, some random person just goes, you know, posting about this guy coming on and he's, she's like, well, that's the pot calling the kettle black. And I responded back with, well, that's interesting, <laughs> you know? And, and she, yeah. and, and then she all of a sudden posts a, a, something else saying that, you know, he has a very interesting backstory. And so I kind of, I offline, I just sent her a quick message and I'm like, Hey, you know, he, he's still thinking about coming on my podcast at some point. He, he canceled last minute. Maybe you can give me a flavor of what your, what your gripe is and, and how you know him. And she gave me the long, probably the longest Facebook message I've ever received from anyone <laughs> about anything. And it was just like all this stuff that she knew him from high school and met him in AA and like all these different things. And, and it was clear to me, if she was telling the truth, this guy is not who he claims to be. Right. And ah. uh, it seemed to me as though if, if what she was saying and she was not his ex, they were, that's not like a, a person mm -hmm. that was related to his ex, but told me some stories about him and the way he handled himself. And I was like, wow, this sounds like I'm glad he didn't come on because I would have a real mess on my hands, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I, I think I texted you. And I'm like, Tony, I got to have you back on. I got to talk to you about this <laughs> stuff. Cause this is, just yeah. a little, this is a little crazy. Cause, cause I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, as an observer, right. So we've got somebody here who's claiming that he or she is a victim of narcissistic abuse. Mm. How do you know? Because if the, the narcissist is so good at projection, right? Mm. How do you know who the narcissist is and who's the abusee? Oh, okay. I, I like where we're going here because I feel like, uh, okay, I have so many thoughts. It just hit me at once. Because one of the things, if you start with the the narcissist is this... Uh, it's this adaptation to a childhood wounding where the person lacks a sense of self without external validation, mm -hmm. then it can be the case where the, the person who is saying I am a victim of narcissistic abuse gets their validation from saying I am a victim of narcissistic abuse. So mm -hmm. then what is fascinating about that is then when you say, tell me more, um, there may not be a lot of depth to the the story that they're sharing about being, have, being a victim of narcissistic abuse, where then somebody that actually has been, uh, broken out of this trauma bond and it has taken years and they felt gaslit and they wondered, am I the narcissist? And, and they've gone through that whole um, experience. You, you, you kind of 
know that that's more of a, I don't know, a legitimate or an authentic um, version of narcissistic abuse. This is such an odd conversation, Josh, as I'm even <laughs> saying this out loud, uh-huh. because uh, when somebody is first tuning into my Waking Up to Narcissism podcast, they continually say, wait, maybe I'm the narcissist right. because they they are getting angry when they feel like they are being made to feel crazy or they are um, getting, uh, they're doing things that aren't really part of who they are. I mean, I'll give you an example of a woman at one point that said, you know, my husband just continually says, boy, you just lose your stuff on the kids and I can't trust you with them. And I don't even know who you are when you come home. And she said, okay, but that's technically true. But then I said, okay, do you just walk around yelling at the kids? And, you know, are you pretty consistent when you're uh, going about your daily life? Or is this in response to when your husband is uh, in the same vicinity, or he's telling you all the things that you're doing wrong? You know, is he pushing your buttons until you respond? And then she's saying, absolutely. And then even the fact that she is asking me if she is the narcissist, I always say, if you're asking yourself, maybe it's me, you're not because you have enough self-awareness that you are, you know, still trying to, to self-confront and, and look to improve yourself because the true narcissist or the incredibly emotionally immature person is not willing to sit with a, a bit of discomfort. They're not going to self-reflect. And, uh, and so they are going to project kind of back to what you're talking about. So yeah. when, Yeah. That's interesting. So, and that was actually a, a place I wanted to go because that's one of the things that one of the videos that he did that gripped me was one that he talked about reactive abuse, mm. and he had oh. he had talked to, and he had talked about the way he had described it was, you know, she would go at him and go at him and go at him and push his buttons until he reacted, you know, poorly, and then she would record him mm. doing it right, and then. And then, uh, and then afterwards, use it against him. Say, I'm going to show everybody. I'm going to show everybody who, what I'm dealing with, and all this stuff, and make him feel terrible about it. Which I thought I was like, well, that's pretty jacked up. But the thing is, is that you're sitting there, and and you know, having some of my own biases, I'm like, okay, well, so, so are you? Who's the reactive? Who's who's reacting, and who's the real abuser? Like, if you have two people yeah. who are who are both emotionally immature. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've got one person who's doing the button pushing that causes the other person to react. Who's the reactor and who's the reactee? Like, you know what I mean? How yeah. do you differentiate that? So, so it's a boy. Okay. So it's a great question. And if I go back to this um, woman's Facebook group, I have of women that are in relationships with narcissistic fill in the blank. And that isn't like a fill in the blank, dirty, rotten fill in the blank, but it's, mm-hmm. it can be a spouse. It can be an adult um, chi- a child. It can be a parent, uh, a an organization, an entity, a boss. And in those situations, the person will then continually say, okay, what's wrong with me? I'm trying to be heard. I'm trying to be understood. And I continually am told what I'm doing wrong. Or uh, So that's that gaslighting vibe. So then this person starts to just really say, I can figure this out. So I'm going to continue to show up in a different way, trying to get uh, the person to understand me. And then there's no consistency. And, and so then the person again feels crazy. And so when I have someone waking up to their narcissism, I tell them, uh, and I don't know if we talked about this last time, but okay, raise your baseline self-care. They really have to get their um, baseline high if they're going to be willing to show up and and deal with the discomfort that's going to come from um, speaking their truth or standing up for themselves. And then that second thing, when I say get your PhD in gaslighting, uh, the third thing is get out of unproductive conversations. The fourth thing is set healthy boundaries. The fifth is know that there's nothing you will do or say that will cause them to have that aha moment or the epiphany. And the reason I say this is when somebody starts to really feel good about themselves and express their own opinion, which is absolutely essential in a healthy, mature relationship. And then if that opinion now is if they're being met with a, oh, wow, okay, now you think that you're a genius, huh? Or how do you think that I feel about that? Or so now they're getting that person to react. Um, the the person that is this, what I identify typically as the more pathologically kind, as they're starting to express themselves, then that that narcissist is going to find a unique way to push that person's buttons. So they may then, um, they may ignore the person, they may get angry and loud of the person, they may gaslight the person. And so so then in that scenario, if if I am working with a client, and I want them to, if they are starting to express themselves in a, an emotionally mature, healthy way, the narcissist now is now the one that is going to be doing the button pushing. So that will look like that reactive abuse in a sense. And I don't know this person that you're talking of, but if I have somebody that is starting to to stand up for themselves and express their opinions and feelings because they're tired of trying to buffer or manage their, their narcissist's um, uh, 
emotions or, or anxiety, and they're starting to speak their truth, then that's where the person on the other end of that is going to, they're going to respond with um, whatever it takes to get the person speaking their mind to then dysregulate, to then get angry. And that's where I feel like, and where I'm going with this is that I often say that when you are starting to, to do it correctly, the narcissist is going to push more buttons because they need you to react so that then they don't have to sit with the discomfort of accountability. So in this women's Facebook group, for example, if the woman is starting to really speak her truth, then she may start to hear, you know, things like, man, okay, uh, well, you sound like a pretty crummy mom, you know, because that's the last thing she wants to hear. And if she can still stay present and notice, I'm noticing that he is pushing a new button. That is fascinating. I know that I'm a good mom, you know, or if then he says, okay, and I'm going to spread this word to across uh, the internet. And if all of a sudden she's got a heavy presence on the internet and then she says, okay, you know, come on, that's ridiculous. Then he got there, there he wins. He got, he pushed the right button. You know, and, and so that's where I wonder if that's what you're, you're noticing and uh, is that it, who, which one is the narcissist in? Is that what it feels like? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, I'm wondering is I'm sitting there and I'm going like, well, okay. So if I have like, like I've got, I've got a few friends who've, you know, got, gotten divorced or or whatever, mm-hmm. or they're in the middle of a divorce or they're having problems. And I, I talk to them and sounds very much about the stuff that you that you preach, you know, on your, on, on waking up to narcissism and the virtual couch, which are your podcasts, which are both excellent. If anyone is wondering if they're a narcissist or they're dealing with a narcissist, you got to listen to it because you'll find, you'll find stuff in there where you're like, Oh yeah, that's what that person does. Or you'll find stuff that you do, you know, and, and you'll go, ah, you know, because what I like about what you say, and it's sometimes hard because the word gets used interchangeably, but you, you talk about, narcissism is a personality disorder and then narcissism just is emotional immaturity. And you can find, you can find things that you do. Uh, um, you, you can find things that you do that are narcissistic. And yes. I think probably everybody does. Yes. You know? well, but, and, and uh, I think, Oh, you go ahead. But, I, but what I was going to say is, is sometimes I hear uh, like, for example, I just had a phone call from a, from a person I know uh, who, who lives out of state and, and he's going through a divorce and he sends me, you know, sends me some messages and he starts telling me, and I, I did no, no conversation prior really about this. Just all of a sudden he's getting divorced and we start talking. And, and as he's telling me about the stuff that his spouse was doing, I'm like, well, that sounds a little bit like narcissism or whatever. And then he goes, well, she's, she's always telling everybody that I'm the narcissist, you know? And I go, well, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, maybe you are, I don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. So, so it's it's just interesting. Like if you're somebody, because I mean you, I, I got to imagine. Uh, maybe I'll ask it this way: yeah. couple comes into your office, right? Yeah. Uh, how long does it take you to figure out that one of them is either extremely emotionally mature or possibly has NPD, narcissistic personality disorder? Okay, uh, this is funny because I am going to another trait of uh, another time that narcissism is used that can theoretically be used in a healthy way, but I have replaced it with healthy ego instead of healthy narcissism, which, you know, the healthy ego is based on real experience and it's a thing that is within and it's relatively impervious to uh, slights of other people. So if I'm going to stand in my healthy ego, because I refuse to say healthy narcissism, um, (laughs) but, but now I think I've worked with 12 or 1300 couples over 15 years. And there's a world renowned marriage therapist named John Gottman that claims that within 15 minutes, he can tell if this relationship is going to work or not. And I remember being a new therapist thinking, okay, there's no way that you can get to that point, but holy cow, Josh. I mean, I I don't think I've got it down to 15 minutes, but definitely in that first session, you're going to know if it, who is the more emotionally immature. And this is the part where I know you as an attorney, I'm sure you have these, uh, I think, you know, when we kind of just been talking just for fun about if you're deposing someone or if you're cross-examining someone and you know what, if you know things about that person and they're trying to tell you a story or a narrative that is just not the way that real normal human beings speak or react. And I feel like that's the part where I get a couple in my office and it becomes evident pretty quickly when somebody is just telling you the things that they think that a therapist probably wants to hear that sound like a a relatively healthy um, person that shows up in a relationship, but they don't even know. So they're, they're telling you, um, no, I'm willing to come in here, for example, or, but you know, I just, whatever she needs, cause I just really need, uh, maybe we can all just brainstorm and, and help her understand that, 
you know, I'm working hard and I just need to, you know, and he'll say things like that, looking at me almost saying, you know, I mean, you get it, you're a therapist and the person doesn't know that, oh, that's not the way this works. You know, we don't come in and now we triangulate and tell this person that uh, she's wrong. And so I, I really feel like within the first session, for sure, you get a vibe, but then I feel like that would be pretty, um, you know, if I'm pretending to know what I know, I also have to pretend to not know what I don't know. And so mm -hmm. then I do reserve the right to be wrong. And one of these days, maybe I will be. That's how, that sounds, that sounds narcissistic. Yeah. But, right? but the thing is though, is you're right. Like, look, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, same thing as an attorney, right? I mean, I know what I can do. I've done it. I've done it for 10 years now and I've had, done it at a high level. Yeah. Um, but you know, so, so yeah, I'll look at a client and, and I'll look at their case and sometimes, well, a lot of the time I look at it and I go, I know exactly where this is going, you yeah. know? And, and sometimes I'm wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of these days I'm going to be wrong. It, it <laughs> happens. It happens at times, but, but my, my stuff is like way different, but, but that's what I mean. You know, you, you, you gotta be able to figure out, I, I got to imagine after that long that, okay, well, here's the person who's the issue, but do you tell them that? I mean, do you, do you ever sit down and go, okay, listen, like, I think you are emotionally immature, or I think that you're really, you might be a narcissist. You might have narcissistic personality disorder. Does that help? It doesn't. And you're a movie guy. Did you ever see Beetlejuice? Yeah. So yeah. you had to say it three times. There's a yeah. lady um, that I heard a training one time and she said she almost makes the person with narcissistic traits or tendencies ask about their diagnosis at least three times before mm -hmm. she'll then kind of share her opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, and I'm kind of saying that, I, I mean, a little bit joking because I also always say you don't tell a narcissist they are a narcissist, but I was very intentional with that podcast about nine, 10 episodes in of talking about emotional immaturity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because um, it's a lot easier to, to talk about emotional immaturity than it is to call somebody a narcissist. So I do feel like there's a lot of uh, room to challenge someone's emotional maturity in a situation. And I think one of the best ways to do that is if we really start looking at what do we do with discomfort? So if I've got a couple in the office and then let's say the wife is expressing to the husband that I really feel like you're, you know, you're kind of all over the map and I really can't count on you. And I feel like I never know which version of you is going to come in the, the door at the end of the day, that is going to cause almost, I mean, pretty much anybody to feel uncomfortable because it's hard for us to get called out on our stuff. Sure. And so what I, what I think is interesting is that's where I start looking at the test of emotional immaturity of what do we do with that discomfort? If my immediate reaction is I can't sit with that for a second and I have to just say that's ridiculous or you're wrong or what about you? You think I can count on the way you show up? Or if that person, what do they do with that discomfort? Do they withdraw? Do they say, I know I'm a horrible person or can they sit with that? Because that's the beginning of trying to sit with some you know, self-confrontation. And that's the part where if you're really looking at, at extreme emotional immaturity or narcissism, and you go back to that gaslighting as a childhood defense mechanism. I mean, you're talking about somebody that from their the the their earliest memories, if they got in trouble, if they if they had did something wrong, they were going to get in trouble. And when they weren't seeing accountability modeled, and then if they got in trouble, they were going to get punished. Then the last thing I want to do is get in trouble because you know, to a little kid that 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 represents abandonment, and then I may die. So I'm going to do anything I can to make sure that I don't get in trouble because if I do, then this person might leave me. So the unhealthy way they show up is now, you know, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. So I can't sit with a second of discomfort. I'm going to have to project that onto somebody else or something else, or I'm going to have to, you know, I need, I need to either take this one up position on somebody or whatever that looks like. So that's that part where I feel like the, the things that you start to see immediately when someone comes into play is you, you know, you'll have a healthy ish couple come in that just doesn't know how to communicate. And you'll, you'll see them say, it's like, no, I mean, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that, you know, that we, we get into these ruts and we don't communicate very well. And the other person might be saying, yeah, and we just need a tune up or, you know, that kind of thing like that, that versus somebody coming in and then they're letting you know that, no, they get it. You know, wink, wink. Um, I'm here, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm a smart person. I can figure things out. I mean, they're already going in defensive. And so they're not going to sit with any, any discomfort or, you know, even a potential accusation that they may be a fault. I mean, it's always yeah. going to be, well, yeah, but she's never told me this before, or, you know, I've already taken care of that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you bring all that stuff up because I I've run into my, my share of, we'll call them emotionally immature people. There we go. And, uh, um, we, and I, I gotta tell you, I love deposing them. 
because they're you yeah. know when I in my when I run into one and I'm deposing and they're a defendant in a case they rear end somebody. Uh, it's so interesting to watch them when What's you ask like? a basic question. Well, it's just yeah. it's it's uncomfortable, and it often when it happens, I can see the discomfort on the defense. Yeah, because. Okay. Because he, you know, I'll, I'll usually ask him, I'll go, okay, so you understand the rules of the road. You understand that you're not supposed to travel too closely. You know, you're supposed to travel in a speed such that you can stop before rear-ending somebody. And of course, they'll always say, oh, yes, of course, I'm a total safe driver, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the case, when you've basically realized, at the end of the deposition, when you've gone all the way through the steps and talked about how they rammed this person, <laughs> they were looking at the road, all this stuff. And you get to the end, you go, is it fair to just say you made a mistake and that mistake caused this collision? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. You know, and then you'll go, okay, so can you tell me any facts? I do that all the time. Will you tell me any facts that you have that you're aware of that says that anyone other than you is at fault? Oh. And then they'll be like, uh, I mean, uh, you know, and they'll just squirm, you know, but, yeah. but I'll be like, okay, so fair to say then, wouldn't you say you're a hundred percent at fault <laughs> for this collision? Well, no, I don't, I don't think I traveled too closely. Well, you rear-ended them, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I hit him in the rear. Okay, fair to say then you were traveling too closely. No, I think I did everything. Right. Is, there, is there anything you would have done differently? No. So you just would have hit my client anyway, you know? And oh, Josh, and, and I want to watch one of those. I want to yeah, see one of those so bad. Yeah, and when you do it, it just in, in my mind, you know, as somebody who's sitting there thinking about the value of the case, you know, every single time after that happens, you know, I get a letter in the mail we're admitting 100% liability and all this. Yeah. Stuff. You know what I mean? Because it's just. It's uh, it's rather uh, ridiculous, but but the other thing that's so frustrating is when you're you're talking to somebody who is who is a narcissist uh, and you're dealing with them, and they just will do anything they can to minimize, even if they know they're wrong, if they know they can't wiggle out of the fact that they're yeah. wrong, they'll do anything they can to wiggle out of it. So it's like it goes from a point where you'll you'll be sitting there. I mean, I, I, you know, and you'll, you'll say, okay, so what you're doing, it's, it's wrong. Like th this happened. Well, I didn't just, okay, maybe, but it, it didn't quite happen that way. Yeah. You know, I don't really like how you're characterizing that, you know, and you'd be like, oh, okay, well, how would you characterize it? And then you hear a story where you're like, wow, you know, it's, you're very much, isn't it interesting that this story ends up with you being the victim? Mm -hmm. always <laughs> no, always yeah you know and and it's it's really kind of surprising when you yeah. when you sit there and and sometimes the level i mean if you deal with it i've done dealt with enough with them now that you know you you you'll sit there and you'll talk to them and the level of willingness to there's just no allegiance to the truth no, I, I have to tell you, I did a, a episode today and I was reading a story that someone had told and I thought it was just such a good example where um, a, a, a male narcissist was sequestering. There's a jury term, um, mm -hmm. his his wife and his wife had finally opened up to one of her adult kids. And so he took great offense to that. And the way that she laid it out was, um, you know, he, he said, uh, didn't they just go on a vacation? And he's in uh he's a real realtor, right? Well, the market's horrible. So I guarantee you that they are leveraging everything. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's so irresponsible, but I bet you probably uh, would want to bail them out when they run out of money and they're going to come back to me. And all, all of a sudden I'm going to be uh, handing over the, my hard earned money to make you the mom of the year. I mean, he just went on this thing and none of it was true, but he confabulated this narrative where all of a sudden um, she was literally just sitting there and he's commenting on the, the vacation that a kid had gone on. And that by the time that he's done with that story, she's apologizing to him for potentially wanting to then give her, give him you know, her adult son money because he may need it because of this vacation that they aren't even sure that he went on. So, yeah. and then, and that's where she just felt like I, I just sat there. I mean, I didn't even yeah. say anything. And by the time I'm done, I'm apologizing for this fictitious narrative and the way I'm going to show up rescuing my son with his money. It's crazy. It is. That is that is crazy. One of my favorite things when I'm dealing with some of these people and I talk to them, because uh, I have a couple, you know, a couple of, like I said, a few friends that I've dealt with. <clears throat> I've dealt with a lot of them in my personal life. And, uh, and when you talk to them, uh, especially somebody like me, you know, it's, it's a little bit different because I'm just trained to draw out the BS. I mean, that's what I do in, in depositions. I'm trained to yeah. narrow, narrow down into the details and the nuance 
to get to where the truth really is. I mean, that's the, that's why I feel, sometimes I feel bad for my kids because if they, you know, when I, when, when I, when I got in trouble as a kid, I, you know, every, every kid tries to w- wiggle out of their, you know, they can't do it. And, yeah. and I, and I depose them, you know, and they, I feel bad for them. I even tell them, I'm like, I feel bad for you because you got a lawyer's dad. That's just not going to, you're not going to get one past me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but when you talk to some of these people, I don't know how many times I've heard quit lawyering me. And, yeah. and I, and I have to remind them, I go, listen, lawyering, when you say that all a lawyer is, is really good at questioning and drawing out truth from, f- yeah. from fiction. And, what you're telling me is fiction. You don't like it because I can draw out when you're confabulating, right? I can. Yes. And, and, uh, and that's the worst thing that you do, but, but it doesn't, but, but it, it, you know, it's funny. You brought up, um, you're never going to give them the aha moment. You said that, right. Yeah. yeah but that's, yeah. I've had all these conversations with, with some of these people and they'll, they'll blame. I remember one guy in particular, him and, you know, he was, uh, he, very much, you know, he had done all the wrong, deserved to be divorced, deserved, you know what I mean? Like there was no question. There was, you know, wife had done nothing, nothing to deserve it. And all he could talk about was all of the things that she did to drive him to do the things that he did. And I was like, did she deserve, you know, did, so did any of that rise to the level, you know, the, of what yeah. he did? I mean, why not? Why didn't you just leave her? you know, and, and he just, he just couldn't fathom. He he couldn't, he couldn't come to the realization that yes, it's my fault, you know? No. Uh, and it was just, it, it, what, why is that? I mean, what, what is the behind it? Is it, is it just too much for them? Is it too much of shame? Are they afraid yes. that they're going to kill themselves or what, what is well, it? Well, it's about? interesting that it's not even the, to the part of killing themselves, but the, that intense shame. I mean, that's where that, again, back to that gaslighting as a childhood defense mechanism. I, I mean, I can't even stress enough that, you know, when you're trying to think about it through your brain and we're talking about this with some awareness, um, it is a completely different situation for an incredibly emotionally immature narcissistic person where that from the time that they have, as long as they could know, they never saw their parent take ownership or accountability of anything. And as a matter of fact, then that parent got their validation by even being better than their kid. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and that parent, I mean, and those are the stories that break my heart where hearing people say, yeah, my, you know, my mom has continually told me that she was better than me, um, you know, at things when I was in high school, or if I do something good in my adult career, then my dad's saying, yeah, well, it's a good thing I taught you that. Or so they can't even let something just be a success of their kids. So when that kid has grown up and they have not, they, they have not uh, been given any credit for anything they've done, they've gotten in trouble for anything that, uh, that even the parent is going to do. So, I mean, I give this example of a, of a, a girl that I used to work with that she would, her, her mom would show up hours late at school. She would be the last one there. And then that mom is showing up and immediately saying, don't start with me. Do you know what kind of day I've had? Um, just be grateful that I'm here. I mean, that girl is right out of the gate, right? <laughs> be you're grateful emo- that I picked oh, you up. <laughs> t- right. And so your emotions don't matter. Mine are important, more important and don't even start with me. I mean, yeah. it, when that's the, the air that one breathes and that's, what's modeled, then when that kid grows up and they feel discomfort, they're not going to say, oh, you know, yeah, my bad. It's going to yeah. start off with like, you don't even know what I've been through today. And so I feel like part so much of that is modeled because then again, if they've never had to sit with discomfort and take ownership or accountability to them, it's the scariest thing that could happen because yeah. if they are, if they are wrong, and this is where I know it sounds dramatic, but I'm gonna pull my therapist card out big, but but if they if if they are wrong and they take ownership or accountability of something, the belief is so deep that then that person is going to be disappointed with me. And if they are disappointed with me, then they will leave me. And if they yeah. leave me, then I will be abandoned and I will die. So I and that's the part where, you know, so they will maintain that control over a person because to them, that is how you love someone. You know, you control wow. them. And so because if you let them have their own thought or opinion, uh, then they they will leave because. Mm. And that's, you know, you, it's hard to get the well, hard, you can't get the true narcissist to then become differentiated and interdependent. And, you know, my, my wife's starting to dress, uh, I don't know, really cute or funky. It's not a, wow, that's adorable. I think she looks great. Why didn't you do this earlier? It's a, who are you going to see? You know, yeah. oh, so you look great. I guess that, I guess you don't care about me. Yeah. 
And then, so that, that just stifles the growth of that other person. You know, it's all about that control and that supply. It, it's, it's just breaks my heart. As a therapist, throwing this out there, when, when you hear a couple, cause one of the things that I've, I've noticed in dealing with this type of, of these types of people is that you'll, you know, they, they have, it's almost like you're living in a completely different reality. They're living in a completely different reality than the rest yeah. of the public, you know, yeah. like you'll, you'll hear a story. And if you hear it from them, the story is one way, but you hear it from another bystander and it's completely different. Yeah. Um, but as a therapist, do you think, how do you navigate that? Because when you have the the natural tendency, like I have the tendency, if I hear two different stories, I'm like, well, you know, eyewitness testimony, people, you know, you you never know. You never know. It could be somewhere in the middle. I wish we had a video camera. Maybe parts of what you're saying is true. Maybe parts of what you're saying is true. I don't know. Yeah. But, but it seems like in that type of situation, when you have someone who's being gaslit, I mean, like the person is making things up. Yeah. That almost seems like it would do more harm. Yeah. So well, how do you how do you navigate that when you're doing a couples therapist? Well, and that's why I feel, and again, I feel like uh, the whole model that that it, so no one no one hears about narcissism and immediately says, oh, okay, I think my spouse is definitely a narcissist, and I need to go no contact, and I'm done. Right. Yet, you know, and my joke is that not, it's a horrible. It's not a joke. My what I like to share is that when somebody starts finding out about this or reading about it. Inevitably, you're going to find yourself reading about something that says, hey, you just need to leave. Trust me, you need to go. And that person is in, they're just now understanding what narcissism even is or emotional immaturity. So they are going to absolutely, that's going to be scary. So that can't be their relationship. Maybe they are the narcissist, you know, that concept. And so then they they come into therapy. And then even at that point, I feel like you're you're still trying to navigate or rule out the way that this can't be the case. I mean, I can make this work. And so I think that's the hard part of where when you're, and this is where I go with, I've got these things I call the four pillars of a connected conversation and the, and it's a framework of how to communicate and with healthy, you know, emotionally mature couples, it is manna from heaven. It is gold. It's the stuff we didn't know. We didn't know. And the way to communicate. And then I feel like when I'm working with narcissism or emotional immaturity, it basically is, is giving someone a framework to then almost just hang this emotionally immature person out to dry, so to speak. And, and they're going to be held again. You know, there's going to be accountability. I'm not going to take the bait um, and be gaslit. And, and those are, you know, I say that you assume good intentions, or there's a reason why somebody is going to say the things they're going to say or show up the way they're going to show up. So with a narcissist, it's because they don't know how to communicate from a mature standpoint, or it's because they were never modeled taking ownership or accountability. You know, the, my second pillar is you can't tell somebody that I disagree or that's ridiculous. Even if you feel like you disagree or you think what they're doing is ridiculous. And, right. and all of these are designed that, you know, to, to keep the conversation from going out in the weeds because a narcissist is going to take a conversation out into the weeds. So all of a sudden we're not talking about what, you know, you've asked them a question about or what they might have to be accountable for because then they cannot sit with that discomfort. You know, so my mm-hmm. third pillar questions before comments, tell me more, what's that like, mm-hmm. you know, take me on your train of thought. And then that fourth pillar is, is staying present and not going into a victim mentality. So if I go to my spouse and I say, I really, you know, I can't believe that you, you know, you said you weren't going to spend this money. And now all of a sudden five grand's out of the checking account. Um, I have to assume there's a reason why that's my pillar one that, and, and it might be really at the core because they don't have the, uh, ability to um, have a conversation about spending money ahead of time because they can't deal with the rejection or the feeling of somebody disagreeing. And the pillar two, if they said, oh no, you, we already talked about it. You said that I could, you know, and if I have to say I didn't, you know, now all of a sudden they're, oh really, you didn't, I think you did. Now we're going to tip for tat right out into the weeds. And then, you know, they're going to eventually, they, they've got us. Now they're going to gaslight. I'm going to get frustrated and angry. And then they're going to say, see, there you go again, leaving the conversation or whatever that's like. So pillar two, if I have to say, oh, okay, I have to, I can't tell them that's ridiculous, even though I know it is. Pillar three then is, well, tell me more about the conversation we had. I, I, I'm not remembering this, you know, help me understand. What do you remember about it? What, what was the conversation like? Um, and then pillar four, if I say, okay, well, I guess I'm just an idiot and I don't really remember anything about money, you know, then that conversation, they're going to, you know, they're going to come try to rescue me and say, oh no, that's okay. You are an idiot and, and you're right. I'm sure you don't remember this. <laughs> so if I, if I hold those four pillars and I just assume that there's a reason why that they said that the, that they spent the five grand and we'd already had a conversation, 
number one, that assumption is going to be based off of the fact that they are emotionally immature and they did not want to deal with any discomfort of asking me about, you know, having a collaborative conversation. Pillar two, they said, we already had the conversation and I can't say, no, we didn't. So I have to say, okay. And then pillar three, again, the questions. So now you can start to see where all of a sudden they have to sit with that discomfort of me saying, oh man, that, okay, I appreciate you sharing that. I don't remember that conversation. And I feel like we actually had the opposite conversation. And, you know, I feel like we've already had a conversation around having, uh, being on the same page with big purchases or now I'm, I'm holding that person accountable. And that's where you will watch that. Here comes the gaslighting. Here comes the withdrawal. Here comes the anger. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. And so that's a, Here's my ADHD. I don't remember what the question was, Josh. Well, now I don't even, really, I don't remember <laughs> either. I think it, I think what we were, you know, when you have a couple um, and oh. they have the different realities. Oh, I was going down the confabulation path. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went on a completely different path there. So, uh, you know, but it was, it was, uh, I was probably inspired. I was probably meant to. That was meant yeah. To yeah. Right? Someone needed to hear that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We'll go with that. Oh no. So the two different realities, I think one of the hardest things there. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I go all the way back. So somebody reads. <laughs> Hey, he's a narcissist, get out. And then you're saying, no, he's not. So my four pillars are a way to even just try to have conversations. And then a narcissist can't play in that sandbox. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the one where I hand that tool to an emotionally mature couple and they did not know what they didn't know. And now they have a way to communicate. And it's honestly amazing. It really is. Mm -hmm. But then to, to the narcissist, now all of a sudden the, uh, the partner is starting to wake up to this narcissism. But the hard part is they also start to recognize part of that whole process of is a confabulated narrative, which means not only that, that person cannot sit with the discomfort that they maybe didn't have the conversation mm -hmm. of, of that we're getting, you know, no, we were on the same page of spending this $5,000 that they have confabulated or created a narrative to back up their, their story to the point of where it had to, have, we had to have had that conversation, or that might mean that I did something wrong. And remember, mm -hmm. we go back to that. They can't do something wrong. And so mm -hmm. the, the wildest thing around confabulation is also this person's been confabulating narratives since they were a child. So then in real time, they're creating a new narrative. So that's why the gaslighting is so powerful. So if all of a sudden now I'm saying we really didn't have that conversation. And this is the part I feel like I wish we could go in and, and have, I don't know, these picture brain scans and see what somebody's thinking. Because the belief is that to the extremely emotionally mature, they, they did have you. We did have that conversation. You just don't remember it. As a matter of fact, now, oh, now it's here. Now they can breathe. Okay. And the fact that you don't remember it means you don't care about me. And I can't believe you don't remember it. And you now I can't even believe that I'm having to defend myself. And I, you know, I really, I should have spent even more money. And the fact that, you know, I don't even know if this relationship is going to work. And all of a sudden that started from somebody saying, Hey, uh, why'd you spend five grand? I thought we were on the same page. Right. You know, but that, that, but yeah. It's interesting, you know, there were there were so many questions I have about this, but there's a, there's a couple that stick out that I really want to hit up. And that is, I mean, one of them, the, the, the narcissist, I've had I've had a number of times where you, you deal with a narcissist or you deal or someone does. And I've often heard people say, like, they don't they don't really love me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily true versus. Is it that or is it that they do, they just not enough to overcome their own, like nothing trumps the the narcissist's need to avoid shame. Does that sound oh, about right? No, that's good. It's interesting too. I, I like the way you said that because I don't ever want to sound negative, but I feel like uh, what it feels like to love as a narcissist, I would imagine feels different because I feel like a lot of that is around the... Um, you know, there's a lot that has to do with the financial thing, you know, finances equate to love or feelings or emotion or power. There's so much of that because feelings can get too big and uncomfortable. And that's where I like with the way you're putting that. So yeah, that, that, I mean, if we're going to have to sit and, and feel big emotions, they're typically going to go revert back to shame and that narcissist can't feel that shame. So then they are letting you know, I know I do love you because I told you. But what does that feel like, though? And that's where I, I wish, again, we could throw some functional brain scan on and see what what it feels like or the emotional response of the narcissist. And you know, if you really do look at functional brain scans, there's a couple of parts of the frontal lobe that uh, that don't get as much blood flow with somebody who is more emotionally immature. And, you know, those parts of the brain that are responsible for empathy. So there is a belief that, um, you know, that that the the narcissist truly isn't tapping into that area of the brain that does uh, access empathy. 
And so, and then there's, then the belief is like, okay, is that because of a brain traumatic brain injury? Or is it has to do with the fact that if the person never was modeled this, this behavior, then that part of the brain wasn't necessarily used. So, you know, the blood flow is used elsewhere. Um, so mm -hmm. there's like, I think that's the stuff too, where we're, you know, we're so, um, we don't know what we don't know about the way that the, even the brain works at this point. And, you know, who knows if someday we'll be able to find out what creates or causes narcissism. And, you know, I don't know if there'll be a, I can only imagine a vaccination against narcissism. You know, then we'll have a whole, uh, then we'll have a double whammy about, uh oh, vaccine and narcissism. You know, who right. knows? Do, do you ever think, you know, you deal with this population quite a bit, and obviously you have a, a really successful podcast about it. So you, you, think about this and study it quite a bit. Do you ever, um, do you ever feel like sometimes you ever heard that, that expression, like when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Oh, absolutely. Do, do you ever kind of have to self-check yourself and go, you know what, like maybe they're not a narcissist. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm just looking at it that way. Or are you, you've done this long enough. Now you're like, I can see this when it's, when it's there or not. So, okay. It's really funny that you asked this question. And, and I almost feel like it goes back to when I said earlier, I wish I was wrong about, you know, in the couple's relationships, that was a little bit arrogant and it's probably, right. you know, not exactly true. Um, but I do feel like in that same breath, I did go through a pretty big period where my wife at one point would say, do you, do you think everyone is a narcissist? Right. And, and, and I started thinking it darn near feels that way, but that's where I really, I really feel like the shift to emotional immaturity won the day. And that I do feel like I've got some serious confirmation bias goggles on toward people's emotional immaturity, because it really, it is really easy to see. And I think that even further, when you go to the the concepts around discomfort, and, and yeah. I mean, cause I, I mean, I have that constantly. I mean, I had it this weekend mm -hmm. where I felt like I, you know, I forgot to, to do something a couple of days before one of my kids' birthdays. And so I immediately felt bad. And what do I mm -hmm. do when I feel bad? I want to rush in and fix and I'm halfway into fixing and, and going and going big and trying to let them know how much I care and that sort of thing where I had to then realize, oh, that's my emotional immaturity that I was trying to go in and, and go big with emotion to show mm -hmm. this person I cared because I felt so bad about not remembering to do something a couple of days before I, you know, right. I had to do it. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like when you, when you look at it from uh, we're all emotionally immature, mm -hmm. you know, then I, then I feel like that's, then you can see that everywhere, but when you can look at that as an opportunity to self confront and grow, then I think that that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's gotta be interesting. I mean, it has to be taxing actually dealing with people like this every single day. I mean, how do you not, how do you not take that at home? I, you know, when I, sometimes when I deal with the narcissistic people in my life or the emotionally mature in my life, uh, you know, it, it, it gets, it just gets so taxing, you know, and you're dealing with it. Is it different just because you're kind of a bystander to it or, because even when I'm dealing with people that I have nothing like I have no skin in the game, you know, with yeah. them, but, but you're just listening to them and you're just going like, you just believe your own BS, you know? Yeah. And, and it's just, it's emotionally taxing. So, okay. And I like, I like your questions are very good, Josh. So this one uh, makes me laugh because I did my internship hours uh, working for a nonprofit. It was for my church. And, and I remember one time asking my clinical supervisor, this Dr. Harris, who I love, and one time I said, man, what is it that I can listen to all these things and go home and I'm not taking it home because I'm hearing about people that do. And he said, man, you've just, you, you've, you've been blessed with this gift. Now fast forward about five or six years. And I realized, oh, that's my narcissism. <laughs> and I really, and, and, and so now I almost feel like the more that I've opened up to my own emotional immaturity, self-confronted, learned to sit with those emotions, feel them, all those things. I feel like that is the part where now it's more of this balance of, I feel like the Oh, bless the heart of the emotionally mature, the narcissist, because they, they don't know what they don't know. And so I, I appreciate being able to provide a framework to try to bring some awareness just in case that this is just something that the person can self-confront. But I do feel like the emotionally taxing part is the spouse, whether it's the husband or the wife of the emotionally mm -hmm. mature, the narcissist, because mm -hmm. that's the part where I feel like is so often that person is, has been going through the, what's wrong with me. I must be broken you know, over and over again. And I am, I am trying to convince the person you're not, you're okay. You know, what a, what a waste of emotional calories and energy of trying to figure out why, why am I not lovable? Why am I broken? Why am I having such a hard time getting this person to 
to love me or to, to show up or listen to me because in a healthy relationship, that stuff isn't the difficult part. You know, we may have some tweaks of our conversation style because we, we have different meanings for words. I mean, I know that maybe sounds overly simplistic, but if I have a couple that just doesn't know what they don't know about communicating and they both are coming from a place of being willing to sit with some discomfort and, and, and confront, I mean, I'll give an example of where somebody, somebody was talking about the word abuse and the wife saying he abuses me. And she'd been listening to a lot of betrayal trauma podcasts and it was emotional abuse. And, and he had been physically abused as a kid. So he had a visceral reaction. So once we were able to have a four pillar conversation around the word abuse and what that meant, then they just almost were in tears of like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, she's saying, I didn't realize that that's what that felt like to you because you've never really opened up. And he's saying, no, I understand. I feel like I feel so bad about my reaction. You know where yeah. and yeah, you're, bring, you're bringing up trauma, Tony Overbeck. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's so it's just it's so funny. It's so funny you bring this up because yeah, you just you're never gonna get that from no. a, from someone who's highly emotionally immature. No. You're never gonna get that. It, it's it's so it, it's just so funny you you bring all that up because it's just yeah, it's you know I can I can imagine it's the taxing part of dealing with these people in that type of relationship. Yeah, it's it, it's it's quite a bit. You you've got a hard out, I know, in a few minutes. And seven, uh, seven, we'll go right up till it. Though, okay, I mean, okay. Our, our, and, and then I want to come back for a part three with after our technical difficulties. I feel yeah, so bad. definitely. No, I always love having you on, and this is a great topic. People are really interested in it, so I'm glad that you you're coming back. You you mentioned your first pillar is is raising your emotional baseline. Oh. Perhaps someone listening. Could you give some just basic tips on what someone who's in a relationship like this could do to do that, to raise their emotional baseline? I'm glad you said this. And so, and not to confuse, because I've got four this and five this and whatever. So my four pillars of a connected conversation, you know, that that's, I thought we were going, you know, I thought you were saying the, and I was ready for my, okay, assume good intentions or there's a reason why, but I like, I don't have cool IP yet for this, Josh. But <laughs> I mean, I've been talking about it for years, but my five, five things to do does not sound very enticing, but it's the right. five things to do when trying to show up in a emotionally, and so I, it, it's a mouthful, but the first one is raise that baseline. And that one is about self-care and self-care is not selfish. And what can happen is I think, I think first of all, when we hear about self-care, uh, the first thing people think is, okay, do I have to go run a marathon or I have to go write a novel? And no, but when people are feeling emotionally um, abused or physically abused, spiritually abused, financially, any of these things, and they are just trying to, to hang on to their sanity, self-care can look like starting to listen to a podcast and starting to watch a YouTube video and starting to to dream and starting to not try to think about what's wrong with me, but starting to think about, okay, who, who, do, who am I, or who do I really want to become? Because I think that's the part that people don't recognize is when they've spent so much time thinking of what's wrong with me and why can't, why can't I be heard and understood? And, and how do I show up so that this person will finally understand or get it? I mean, mm -hmm. all of that is going against the, Hey, uh, I want to, explore these values that I have or, or tap into my God-given talents and abilities or, you know, none of that is happening. So the self-care is and raising one's emotional baseline is absolutely necessary because I feel like, you know, we have stuff coming at us every day from uh, all the things we're dealing with parenting and relationships and stuff. And if our emotional baseline or how we feel is very low, then we can't even access the tools that we need to, to be able to stand up for ourselves or to be able to you know, hang on to our sanity. And so then this raising our baseline will slowly but surely put us up to a spot where we might be able to show up better and 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 not take the bait when somebody is gaslighting us and be able to right. stay present and not, you know, emotionally right. dysregulate. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I actually had a guy on a few podcasts ago. His name was Anthony Rivera. He's a military vet, had some PTSD and had some drug issues and things like that. Ended up in jail for a little while and came out and and he mentioned, he was like, you know, he just started taking notes of successful people. And he was, and what I found so interesting about what he said was he's like, I got up early. I went to the gym. I started, I started working and I worked, he's like, and then I had a side hustle, you know, he's like, and once I got enough days of that over and over and over, I started feeling better about myself. Yeah. And then it just kind of cascaded and kind of, I noticed Absolutely. the same thing for myself when I, you know, at the, at the lowest, one of the lowest points in my I guess, life uh, where I needed to uh, raise an emotional baseline, I couldn't, I couldn't put enough emphasis and it sounds silly and cliche, but I couldn't put enough emphasis on just 
going to the gym and like, and the thing that was so interesting about it was it didn't start out like I was lifting an hour and a half. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just started with like 20 minutes on an elliptical, 20 minutes just doing basic weights. And then slowly over a couple of months, I started feeling better about myself. I started losing some weight, started, you know, about a year in, I started seeing muscles and I was like, Mm. okay, you know, and then it turned into this thing where now it's like, I have to go, you know, if I don't go, I feel off. So, you know, raising that self-care can, can really, but, but how does that, why is that so important to dealing with someone with narcissism? Well, I, I really feel like because the tools that that one needs to tap into eventually are recognizing that gaslighting and staying present and and because the gaslighting and and when we're being made to feel crazy, I mean, what's happening is all of a sudden our heart rate elevates, our cortisol flows, we go into fight or flight, our amygdala is hijacked, and then all of a sudden we don't even feel like we can re, you know respond with anything other than uh, yelling or screaming or, or that sort of thing. And so that, that is so far away from being confident and calm and, you know, feeling like, Hey, it's okay to be me. And so the more that you raise that emotional baseline, you're able to step in. And, and, and honestly, this is that part where maybe it's like stay emotionally regulated while the person is trying to push buttons, but maybe it's, um, raising yourself, your emotional baseline up enough to know that there are times where I need to leave the conversation even if mm-hmm. the person's going to say, there you go again and push buttons on the way out. And, and, and I, let me tell you real quick too. I, I really feel like when I got into therapy, being, becoming a therapist, I just had this vibe where I thought, oh, I'm going to be the, you know, no one needs medication or whatever until then I think I'm a week in and the first guy that I worked with that was coming out of a narcissistic relationship and he was very suicidal. And then the, um, you know, the, the medication, the antidepressant he took, he said, helped him from going down into the basement emotionally. And he said in the basement was where the really scary things were. Mm-hmm. And and so then I, over time, I really feel like somebody will even hear what we're talking about and they'll think, I can't even, I can't even dream. I can't even listen to a podcast. I can't even go on a walk because I feel so just emotionally defeated. And so sometimes I feel like even a, a medication, a antidepressant, a, anti-anxiety medication, a, an ADHD medication, whatever it is, will bump the baseline up just enough to be able to reach the tools. And then once you mm. have the tools, now you can raise that baseline even higher. And then at that point, one of two things happens. Either if you say, okay, I want to try to get off of this medication, you now know what the tools look like. You can anticipate a little bit of a of a, dec- you know, a decrease in your emotional baseline, but now you really can, you know what you're working with as far as your mm. tools go. But I feel like so often people will say, why on earth would I stop taking this right now? Because I've never felt... Right like I could access these tools. So I feel like that's a big point to the emotional baseline too. Man, that's uh, there's, we could go for 10 hours on this stuff. I'm sure there's so much to talk about, but I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this stuff with us. I know that there's a lot of people out there who, who this really struck a chord. Um, you know, when we, when we came and talked the first time, a lot of people were really appreciative of it. Um, people were forwarding it over. And and so you really got a gift here and you, you really speak to a lot of people. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you're very, and so, very kind. And, and I want to have a home and away. So I need you on the virtual couch. I think I'm been running a, a bonus episode of yours on mine here in a week or two. So I appreciate excellent. what you're doing. Oh, well, yeah. I appreciate that. Well, we'll, we'll definitely have you back. We'll have you back and hopefully we'll be actually go back on StreamYard. We'll see. Exactly. Goes. Okay. Anyway. All right, Tony. Sounds well, good. thanks for coming on. And this okay. is the other podcast. Subscribe. Subscribe. Help me out. All right. We'll see you. Hey, bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to hit stop and then, okay, stop recording.